You're listening to the Option Alpha Podcast from OptionAlpha.com, where we show you how to make smarter trades, learn how the stock market really works, and generate consistent monthly income. Now, your host and head trader at OptionAlpha.com, Kirk Duplessis. Hey everyone, this is Kirk here again from OptionAlpha.com, working every single week to make this the most popular investing podcast offered online and in iTunes because it's based on one thing and one thing only, and that's helping you guys make smarter trades. So again, thanks so much for tuning in today. On today's show, we are going to be talking about how you can become a better options trader by not watching the market, which I think is actually really important. So turn off the TV, turn off the news, turn off the radio, any of that stuff that you listen to. And we'll kind of talk through this. I think you guys will like this because I've got a really cool example using a old Ben Bernanke speech, which I think you guys will really appreciate. Now, before I get into that, it is Thanksgiving week. So I want to say happy holidays, Thanksgiving, etc. getting ready for the Christmas season or the holiday season, whatever you celebrate, all very exciting and fun. And I just want to tell you guys that I really appreciate you, uh, the people who listen to this. I don't take that for granted at all. I'm extremely humbled to be able to do this all the time. And I love doing it. I love reaching out and hearing about what you guys are doing for the holidays. So definitely let me know. Shoot me an email, kirk at optionalpha.com. All right. So today, like I said, we're going to talk about how you can become a better trader by not watching the markets. Now, here's the thing. I think you can become 110% better by not doing 90% of the things that you're doing right now. That's really the reality, right? So we all know intuitively, and let's be honest, right? Like we're all adults here, right? There's nothing that somebody can say on the news, right? Or on a, you know, on a newspaper or on a YouTube, something like that, that's really going to drive the markets that maybe has really any true insight into where the markets are and myself included, right? Like, so that's why you don't hear me often say, uh, I think the markets are toppy or I think the markets are low. We just trade within a range, right? Like I'm generally neutral all the time around the markets. If the markets go up, we'll continue to be neutral as the markets go up, which is the beautiful thing about options trading because we're basically are trading on a 30 or 60 day time frame. So as the markets move and adjust, we have the luxury of not having to choose a direction. We can choose to be neutral and continue to adjust our position along the way. But the reality is though, is that a lot of people do listen to the markets. You guys do have CNBC on in the background, or you watch Fox News, or you watch CNN. You do listen to the markets, and you do listen to these talking heads on the news, and you know that it's not serving you any purpose, so why do you continue to do it? I think the reason that people continue to do it is because of this herd mentality, because you feel like you need to be in the know, and that's the easiest way to be in the know. Now, look, to no disregard to them, meaning the news outlets, the media, stock news, financial news, they're in the business of collecting your eyeballs, right? Like that's what they want to do. They want to collect your eyeballs so they can sell advertising, et cetera. And so they make it very easy. They make flashy shows. They make flashy sound effects during shows, which I know you guys are probably thinking of. There's probably one guy in particular probably makes a lot of sound effects during his show. But it's all meant to get your attention and just basically to keep your eyeballs there. And so that means that sometimes they'll go above and beyond what they really should in order to keep your attention. Obviously serves you real no purpose. Now this herd mentality that people get into, I think can become very dangerous in both directions. And to be honest with you guys, I self-admit that like a couple years ago, I was really in this camp of, you know, really letting myself go sometimes as far as like herd mentality. I would always say, and you guys have maybe heard me say even recently in the Daily Call podcast where I said what I would do different in a bull market next time, 
but I'm just naturally, I guess, more of a bearish person in, in finance that I see, you know, the cracks in the foundation more than I see all of the upside potential. It's just a natural thing that I do. But I had to release that, I guess, weight that was weighing down my directional assumptions because I would take probably more bearish trades than I needed to, right, a couple of years ago. And so once I started doing that and started to really realize, and maybe this takes time that you realize this, that you really have no control over the direction. And even though there might be a few cracks in the foundation, doesn't mean that the whole thing is crumbling and broken, that you actually can set yourself up for better trades, more success, you remove yourself, and frankly, it becomes less of a weight that I carry around, around, right? Because I think that what happens is you listen to all this sometimes negative news, negative commentary, it weighs you down. I mean, it really just like drags you down emotionally and you may not recognize it initially, but man, when you start making that change, that transition to not caring about or not watching the markets, but just literally systematically trading, it is really, really liberating. It frees you. It opens you up. I think it makes you more creative. It makes you more patient, which is really, really important. So to prove this point, and I think this is probably, for me, the biggest point that that you should probably take away from this is the Fed. I think the Fed is the premier, the perfect example of why you should not watch the markets, meaning you should not care about the news. You really shouldn't, you know, dig into all these briefings and, you know, all these company financials. It really doesn't matter, right? And it's because of the Fed. And more importantly, I'll even just reference one of these right now, and I'll have a link on the show notes page, opshoff.com slash show 110. But I'll have a link on the show notes page to all of the Federal Reserve speeches because what they do, and this is actually really good that they do this, but they basically transcribe all the speeches given by Bernanke or Yellen or any of the governors, et cetera. And you can go online and it's all open source and you can read it and go through them, all of their historical archives, which is very good that they actually do this. But one speech in particular, I think, was insanely telling. And it was the speech that Ben Bernanke did back in May of 2007. So if you remember, May of 2007 was a couple months before the market top, right? Before the market top in 2007, basically like September, October in 2007, when the market and the S&P topped out. And back in May of 2007, we started hearing news of this subprime crisis that was happening, right? It started to he reached the front news. It started to reach more of the broad spectrum of you know the financial system. We were starting to hear more about it. Obviously, the Fed had more information than everyone else, or at least had access to more information than most people did, and should have taken a, a deeper look at this. This is all like hindsight's twenty twenty, but we know we know the story, right? But what's important to know about this is you take somebody like Ben Bernanke, who's running the Fed, and all of their reach and all of their exposure and all of their access to information. And still, to this day, the Fed has never correctly picked a market top or bottom, has never correctly picked a market top or bottom, right? Uh, This happens all the time also in large institutions like investment banks and financial firms, insurance firms. Nobody correctly picks the top or the bottom. Now, some people just get lucky and they happen to publish something on the day of the bottom or the day of the top, et cetera. But that's not really what we're talking about. We're talking about systematically a large shift in their perspective on the markets directionally saying, this is the bottom, this is the top, or the top is going to happen soon, et cetera. And we never see that happen. And we never saw it happen with the Fed. Now, here's a quote or a couple sentences from that speech that Ben Bernanke gave back in May of 2007. Again, this is 
about four months before the market actually topped out, but just enough time that he was starting to see some of the the effects of this subprime that was kind of lingering through the market. So he said, quote, importantly, we see no serious broader spillover to banks or thrift institutions from the problems in the subprime market. The troubled lenders, or for the most part, have not been institutions with federally insured deposits. So end quote. So that's one of the sentences they said. So he just basically spent you know about 15 minutes during this speech talking about what subprime is, the background behind it, why it's in the market, how it's increased home ownership, et cetera, and then started talking through the problems. But then he ended it with saying, you know, we see no broader spillover. Basically, the whole it's contained thing. Again, this is four months before the market topped out and we had a huge decline in everything. I mean, all equities, bond, everything, right? Now, he later went on and kind of basically ended his speech saying, again, quote, all that said, given the fundamental factors in place that should support the demand for housing, we believe the effect of the troubles in the subprime sector on broader housing market will likely be limited, and we do not expect significant or any spillover from subprime market to the rest of the economy or the financial system. The vast majority of mortgages, including even subprime mortgages, continue to perform well. Past gains in the housing prices have left most homeowners with significant amounts of home equity and growth in jobs and incomes, which should help keep the financial obligations of most households manageable, end quote. So this is crazy. Like I'm actually just like sitting here thinking to myself, I've got my hand on my head thinking to myself like, that is insane. If you were reading that four months before the market totally collapsed, you think to yourself, everything's fine. Ah, small blip on the radar, right? And he was pointing to before this, which I don't have time obviously to read the whole thing, but he was pointing to the fact that most of the loans that were still done were still done in prime lending, meaning that people had good jobs, verified income, you know, great credit scores, and everyone had all of this home equity. Well, the problem with home equity that we know is it's hard to get once you can't get a loan, right? Like it's kind of stuck in the walls. You can't just rip out a piece of your drywall and take it to the bank and say, here's my equity. Here's a piece of my home. Now I want you know some of that money back. That's not how it works, right? And so we know that the subprime market obviously led to a broader collapse in real estate, even prime lending, job growth, et cetera, right? The point of saying all of this, again, is to show you that even the people that have seemingly all the information, all the pieces together, all of their fingers on all of these different sectors and and industries in the market still had no clue. And to this day have never correctly picked a market top or bottom ever. So why are we trying to be the people who buck this trend? Why are we trying to directionally pick stocks? I still see this all the time. Like I even saw it just the other day. Everyone you know, Tesla recently, you know, released their new Roadster and the trucking thing. And and people are still trying to pick stocks. And, you know, and I don't know if Tesla is going to be a great stock or a bad stock. It could be different from Tesla being a great company or a bad company, right? They're not totally, you know, lined up either. But it's this idea that we can pick stocks and pick markets and pick bottoms and tops is insanely arrogant of us to think that we can do this. And so hopefully this one example, I think hopefully will stick in your mind forever. That's the goal of doing this podcast so that you understand that not watching the markets may actually be better for you just to just totally disconnect yourself because you get yourself into this subconscious habit of listening and hearing and watching. And even though you think, Kirk, I don't listen to that stuff. It's just on in the background. It gets into your subconscious and it does affect your decisions. And you have to absolutely completely go cold turkey on it if you really want to see a difference. 
I would assume, and I'm not making any judgments here, but I would assume that people who have an addiction of any kind realize that to basically reverse that addiction, to get rid of that addiction, right, to go clean takes going cold turkey, right? You can't just wean yourself off of alcohol, right? If you're still drinking, you're still right? An alcoholic. There's no different. There's no difference here. A little bit is just the same as doing a lot. And so the same thing happens with watching the markets. You can't just assume that, oh, okay, I'll shut off that show and I won't listen to that radio and I won't listen to that, you know, talking head, but I like this guy. No, you've got to go cold turkey, make your own assumptions, your own opinions based on whatever facts that you gather, but still stay systematic. Don't assume that you know more than somebody else because the reality is, is you don't and I don't. And I say that openly all the time. I think that's why people like coming to Option Alpha because we don't assume that we know where the markets are going to go. So from here though, what should you follow? I think that's the next logical progression is, okay, if we shouldn't follow the markets, how do we stay up to date with what's going on? And I think what you have to do is you have to just check out the headlines, glance through the headlines. And what I often do and a good resource for me is Finviz. Finviz is a great resource that just basically has all of the headlines for news. And you can click into the articles, but I choose not to because I don't want to get myself you know, down a rabbit hole where I start looking at article after article. But it gives you a feel for where the markets are that day. And I often say it's like being a quarterback in a pocket. For those of you who understand American football, which I played quarterback in college, it's you get a feel for the pocket over time, right? You, you basically, you know, you drop back, you understand that people are moving around you, but your eyes are downfield, right? And you're not literally looking at every single individual defender that's coming after you. Because if you did, you totally lose focus, right? You're looking at this guy who's running after you and that guy who's running after you, right? You can't do that. So you have to get a feel for the pocket. And that's really what I think about when I think about trading is getting a feel for the market. You know, what are the major headlines? What are the major news events, right? But not really reading too much into that because the market prices all that stuff in. So by the time you see a headline, by time by the time that you see a news event, boom, it's already priced into the market, right? You have no ability then to necessarily change the market outcome. Again, even though people think that they can, they think, once they hear a headline that they can react to it later on. This was again present, I think this recent quarter here in something like Apple, Apple just had earnings. I think I did a Facebook Live on this too, where Apple had earnings, had great, I'm sorry, no, it's Facebook. Facebook had earnings, great uh, growth in Facebook. Ad revenue was up like 70% over the quarter, et cetera. And the stock sold off and everyone wondered why, like why did the stock sell off? Well, because it was already priced in. We already knew that the stock was going to have great earnings. It just didn't exceed expectations. Expectations were that it maybe should have seen 80 or 90% growth in the ad revenue. And that's why the stock sold off, right? It was kind of the buy the rumor, sell the news type of event. But that was a great example of why just hearing the news piece, if I just told you that Facebook had 70% ad growth or whatever it was, many people assume that, hey, that's a buy, we should buy it. But then it was obviously selling off that day on that news. So again, I think you should read the major headlines, read the major events, right? Get a feel for the market, but really don't dig any further into that, right? As an options trader, we have the insane luxury, which you guys don't recognize now because the markets are high and maybe you've never been through a market correction, but we have the insane luxury of being able to quickly adjust and adapt our portfolio to the market, which is something that you can't do other places. You can't do that with stock. You can't do that with long-term, you know, like real estate assets. Like that's the ability 
that options trading has is to be able to quickly adjust to the markets, which I think is insanely powerful. So again, if you want to become a better options trader, cut 90 or 100% of the market watching that you're doing right now. Go cold turkey, no pun intended on Thanksgiving, but it's a good analogy, I guess. But go cold turkey on it. See how you feel after a couple weeks of doing this. I think that you'll actually enjoy it much better. And now our favorite part of the show, Trader Q&A, where we ask a question from one of our current members about options trading. Got a question you'd like to ask Kirk to answer live on the air? Just head on over to optionalpha.com forward slash ask and hit the record button to leave a message. That's optionalpha.com forward slash ask. And now here's today's question. Kirk, this is Julian. My question relates to your current list of high implied volatility stocks. Currently, there are only seven listed, only, uh, all of which are, have earnings coming up very shortly. My understanding is that one should not sell any credit spreads in these seven stocks, and the only trading one should do with regard to these is around the earnings calendar with uh, the buying of earnings and selling on the volatility crush. Is this correct? All right. So, hey, Julian, thank you so much for submitting the question. And again, just to recap, basically the question is, look, when high implied volatility is in the market and earnings are coming up, so say it's a week out or two weeks out or even a couple days out, question is, do you trade that security or do you wait for the earnings event? I will say, say to you, quite honestly, that you wait for the earnings event. That's what we have found right now to be the best way to take advantage of this. And here's why we do this, because we don't want to make a directional assumption heading into the earnings event. The only thing that we know surrounding earnings season and stocks earnings announcements are that implied volatility collapses basically during that after or post announcement that happens and that the stock never outperforms the expected move long term. What do I mean by that? I mean that if the stock is expected to have a $2 move around earnings up or down, we will generally not see the stock move $2 long-term, right? I say long-term with a lot of emphasis because what happens is that stocks do sometimes move more than $2 and earnings only come around four times a year for a stock. So long-term means over the course of a couple of years, we will not see a stock consistently, religiously beat the expected move because once it does it once, It resets the parameter for the next time. Again, Facebook was a great example of this just recently where Facebook had this huge expected move and basically went nowhere after the stock announced earnings, right? So that's the thing that we know is going to happen. We know those two things are going to happen. We know there's going to be a volatility crush. We know that the stock is not going to outperform the expected move or move more than the expected move. So we want to trade that individual event. We want to basically stack the deck in our favor and not try to take any directional assumptions heading into that event. What I have seen before is I have seen people try to get positions on a couple days earlier or even a week earlier, but the stock ends up moving before the actual earnings or event are announced. And this is commonplace in the market that the stock either rallies heading into earnings or collapses heading into earnings. Maybe you have an analyst that came out and you know, move their price target or up or down or whatever the case is. And it affects the stock. It affects the security. And so we don't want to take that directional assumption. So do I think you could trade it? Sure. Do I think it's probably the best trade that you can make? Probably not. I think you should probably wait for the actual earnings event itself. So again, remember, if you'd like to get your question answered here on the podcast or live on Facebook and Periscope, which we've already been doing, please head on over to optionalpha.com slash ask and click the big red button in the middle of the screen 
and leave me a private voicemail. Again, it's first come first serve. There's no download or software to install. And it's really easy. You just click the button, leave me a voicemail, just like Julian did. And then we'll get it answered here on the podcast or live on Facebook and Periscope, the daily call. We've got a lot of different resources to get your guys' questions answered. So again, before we get into the closing bell segment, I want to let you guys know about our new daily call podcast. It's been growing very rapidly. I can get lots of good feedback from it. But if you haven't subscribed to the daily call, which is kind of another way to get some more information about options trading, there are little mini segments that go very, very quick and into details of questions and topics that we can't generally cover on a longer format podcast like this then go ahead and subscribe to the daily call from Option Alpha. Again, you can get to it by going to optionalpha.com slash daily call. Now, the closing bell. Find out which stocks we're looking at right now, trades we're making, and hear our game plan moving forward. All right, so in today's daily call, what I want to talk about, not daily call, so there there you go, I messed up already because I'm just used to recording those daily calls. But actually, in today's closing bell segment, what I want to talk about is I want to talk about our VIX debit spread that we just got into. So uh, we got into this trade after the VIX spiked up to around 13 and a half or so just this past week. So uh, this trade's a couple days old because, again, we don't publish these things the same day that we actually do these trades. But this is our VIX trade. Obviously, went out to all of our pro and elite members. What we often do, and we've talked about before on this podcast, is that one of the better trades that we end up making is just a simple play on volatility once it spikes. It's much easier to play volatility down, meaning the contraction in volatility, versus assuming that volatility is going to spike. So what I often see people do is they try to buy long calls or long call spreads in the VIX or VXX, and they're just waiting for volatility to pop because, well, it's so low. But low volatility does not in and of itself mean that volatility will go back up, right? You have to wait for that volatility pop to happen, uh, that expansion in volatility, and then it's much easier just to play the contraction. So today the VIX is up, or just a couple of days ago, the VIX was up to around 13 and a half or so. And so what we ended up doing is we ended up buying a simple debit put spread. So this is the best way that we know to play the contraction in the VIX, and that's to buy this debit put spread. We're basically buying the 14 puts, selling the 12 puts, so right around where the VIX is trading for $1.20. So since it's a $2 wide spread, we have the ability to basically make $80 per spread. We're doing five of these spreads because, again, it's generally a really good trade for us. It's a high probability setup. It's a trade that we love to make during low volatility times like this because it's a hedge against low volatility. This quick spike up that we had, we know generally doesn't last long. And so if the markets continue to rally or resume rallying after they sold off and contraction happens in volatility, this pays off. This helps hedge our portfolio against the markets rallying and volatility contracting. Now, I openly say on this alert that I hope I'm wrong on this trade. And I always hope I'm wrong on VIX trades because I frankly want implied volatility to go through the roof. I'd love to see the VIX at 30 or 40 or 50. And then we'd have a lot more opportunity. There'd be a ton of premium that we could sell super far from the market. So if I'm wrong on this trade and it's a directional trade, I'm totally okay with that. But we are expecting possibly that the VIX is going to contract between now and January. So these are contracts that are further out in time. I think for the VIX trades that we do, we like to do contracts further out in time versus shorter. Just gives the market more time to, you know, basically normalize and for volatility to come back down, which I ultimately think will happen by the time we get to Christmas and all that stuff. So 
uh, whether this works out quickly or it takes a little bit of time to work. I think generally it's just a decent trade and a, again, a hedge for the portfolio. Thanks for listening to the Option Alpha podcast. If you liked what you heard, please drop by iTunes and leave a rating or comment. Plus, you can get everything. Free email updates for future shows, transcripts, video tutorials, case studies, and more. Just visit our website at optionalpha.com. All right, again, I truly hope you guys enjoyed today's show and got at least one thing out of it that you can apply right now to make you a smarter, more profitable trader and investor. As always, you can get additional resources, links mentioned in the show, and some related video training from today's show by going to optionalpha.com slash show 110. Again, that's just the number 110, optionalpha.com slash show 110. And until next time, happy trading.